You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's a grey, dull, drizzly morning here in TW11. It's Thursday, the 8th of September. Nothing remotely grey, dull or drizzly about the fair on offer over the next few days, either in Europe, courtesy of the Kazoos and Ledger Festival, which got underway yesterday, or the Longines Irish Champions Weekend, which gets underway on Saturday, nor even where I'm going in North America for the feature racing at Kentucky Downs. Uh, this weekend. Rishi Passad joins me on the show. We begin with the news that Colin Keane, the chosen one when it comes to a big race mount, it seems, has picked up the plum ride on Mishrif in the Bahrain Irish Champion Stakes on Saturday afternoon for, for trainer John Gosden and owner Prince Faisal. Of course, David Egan, Prince Faisal's former retained jockey, no longer in that job. He may well have a, an afternoon of his own to remember as he rides Elder Elderov in the Kazoo St. Ledger the same day. Rishi, what do you make of the booking of Colin Keane for Mishrif on Saturday? Well, once James Doyle was out of the picture, it became clear that they needed someone that was of that ilk and uh there used to be in years gone by an irish rider who was regularly called up to replace jockeys on the big day in mick canan uh, arguably one of the greatest riders of all time and colin Keane is beginning to fill that uh, that role for a number of people uh, around uh, Europe. It's, it's an obvious booking for someone who obviously knows uh, Leopardstown like the back of his hand and, and is one of the best riders around. Um, Mishrif has got a big chance, you know, the turnaround in weight with Fadani from the Eclipse, plus the fact that he was a little bit unlucky on the day, suggests that he, I think, must go close. Um, I, it's such a good race, though, Lucky. I don't think it's about those two horses. There's Luxembourg. I, I really like Ernesto as well. Uh, the, another of the French horses. But Colin Keane is very much the go-to rider now when there's a vacancy for a, a big ride in a big race. Mishrif is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, we don't really know exactly what he achieved in, in the Judmont International. Do we assume that he's the same <laughs> Mishrif that had won it the year before, or has he lost a step? Does it give us a bit more context for Baid, if, if indeed we need any context the one thing you would know as you noted rishi is that he was much slicker out of the stalls than he had been either in the king george or the mm. eclipse and i think his run at sandown suggested that he is as close to his best which obviously the judgment international last year was as good a performance as we've seen from him um, but i think that that was a, a really good run at sandown and i thought Given the way he was ridden, I mean, he was a pretty aggressive ride by James Doyle in the Judmont International. And of course, dealing with Baid over that trip, but I have said before, Baid could potentially be a better horse over 10 furlongs, and that's what we got. So I think Mishrif ran well in defeat against Baid, considering how the race panned out. And I think the run at Sandown suggested he's as he's good as he has been. Uh, the Ascot run, I thought he ran really well, considering what he did at the start of the race, got into it. I don't think he stays 12 furlongs at Ascot. We said, I think I said that on this podcast before the race. So I think Mishrif is going to be a massive player in the race, especially now that the weight gap between the three-year-olds is is closing. Uh, who's better, Rish, Baid or Flightline? 
<laughs> I love the 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 depth of feeling behind that argument on on social media on the weekend <laughs> after flight lines incredible performance. I mean, I don't have a view. Genuinely, I don't have a view on who's better. What I'd love somehow for them to to meet, but that's only in my dreams because they they won't. Um, but flight line is just magnificent. In the same same breath, that I'd say Baid is magnificent. Uh, but can, you know, can people, I, can... people 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 using phrases like "wouldn't get one horse off the bridle," or he, you know, he would, or, or 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 suggesting that he'd have Baid off the bridle at halfway. It's provocative, and people responded to that, and they got all wound up by it. But you know that that it just even using that phrase doesn't even make sense. You know, Baid. How do you know that Baid? wouldn't wouldn't uh, enjoy uh, the, the surface the dirt surface how do well, you know that flight line wouldn't go well on turf i mean who knows i, I i'd say flight line could win a grade one race on turf no problem um to, to be honest especially in in, in the u.s yeah. and there's the best racing satirist on twitter there is because let's face it most people who think they're funny on twitter are about as uh, as funny as a smack <laughs> in the face but this guy this guy at sham i am not i think he's called mark yeah. Um, he's one of the better known US based uh, Twitter fun pokers and he's always the kind of right side of it and he's done yeah. he's done it he's done a, a um a piss take of the of the world horse racing flight line versus secretariat and he's done oh. flight line versus Jesus Christ tale of the tape <laughs> Ra- that's very good tra- trainer flight line John Sadler Jesus Christ God racing out of <laughs> Racing out of Santa Anita, Bethlehem. Biggest win, 19.5 lengths, dying for our sins. Nickname, the next secretariat, Lord and Saviour. Stride length, stride length, 25.5 feet, two and a half feet on land, two foot on water. Um, best ever. It's so good. It's so good. It's so good. It's, not, it's not so good with me reading it out, but it, it's, it's oh, so good. Oh, that's genius. That's very, very good. Uh, uh, who was this guy? At at Sham I am not is his at uh, Sham I am not right okay I must look him up that's very good um on we on we move <laughs> to news news more news that we might have might have brought you earlier in the week if you read between the lines but has now been confirmed sadly that Minzal uh, will not run again because he's incurred a slab fracture which is being operated on um connections seem hopeful that that'll heal up okay but he'll then head off to stud and, and Owen Burrows rather hinted. After being jarred mm. up at Haydock, that that he probably wouldn't be seen again. Yeah, sad sad news that he he won't be seen again. I think the only consolation, if if there is one, for connections is that he got a deserved Group One win uh, to secure a place at Stud and to make him an attractive proposition. Well, that performance he produced at Haydock was outstanding. I mean, to beat horses in that manner in a sprint race, the way he quickened up at the end of the race and put really good distance between himself and the field was superb. Do you know how many runners Owen Burrows has had in total this season? Not that many, I would say. Fewer than 100 would be my guess. 50. He's had 50 runners in total. That's, that's ridiculous. Uh, 50 runs, 15 wins. And from those 15 wins, I think seven have been enlisted or higher. Obviously, the two group ones with Hookham and Minzal. The other point about Minzal winning and the way he's brought Minzal back from a truncated 2021 season to do what he's done this season, run really well in France and obviously winning that group one at Haydock, it just highlights what a, a fabulous trainer he is. And hopefully, he's done enough this season to ensure that he will get more horses and be allowed to 
to display his talents, which have been magnificent this season with the small stable that he's had. Uh, somebody said it was the best performance put up by a domestically trained sprinter this season. Because obviously the best sprinting performance was Nature Strip and the King Stand. Without was, it, question. W- was it a better performance than Highfield Princess's Nunthorpe win? And indeed, she beat him in the Morris de Geest. For my money, Highfield Princess has been the sprinter of the season. She's been absolutely fantastic all the way through the season as well. And she did beat Minzal in the Morris de Geest. Maybe he could have finished a, a little bit closer, but I thought she beat him fair and square enough to be the superior horse on the day. And then to come back out at, at York and produce that performance against the Platinum Queen, giving all that weight away, plus the fact that you know she'd had the run in France uh, not that far uh, away. I, I think she's, she's just, for my money, the champion sprinter 2022 to date. All right, well, as you know, if you're a regular follower of this podcast, Highfield Princess is trained by John Quinn. His son and assistant, Sean, joins me now. Uh, Sean, I think it was here that you broke the news that the horse was going to make that audacious uh, Morris de Geese Nunthorpe double. Who'd have thought we'd be talking a few weeks later and, and, and she'd have won both races? Yeah, absolutely, Nick. It was it was phenomenal. It was an ambitious plan, but then uh, to to sort of pull it off was, was incredible and, and all down to her, really. And she's clearly hard as nails. Was there was there any temptation to slide Haydock Park into the mix last weekend or not? Funnily enough, that was never on our agenda. Um, and what we were hoping might happen in the Nunthorpe is that she would look suited by five furlongs and that would open up the five furlong avenue to us further. All right, so it's the Flying Five at the Curra this weekend. Um, how's she doing? What have you done with her since York? She's good. Um, we've we've just cantered her daily. Um, she, she gets turned out in a paddock after exercise. She gets an hour or two out in a paddock, and we just just keep it simple with her. But she seems very well. And and am I am I right in thinking that that you do get to occasionally ride her? I do. Uh, funny enough, I haven't sat on her much since the since the Nunthorpe. So I've been jocked off. But uh, fair play to, to Jason Hart. He comes into the yard most days and. Uh, He's he's been riding her mostly since York. Has he started to get a bit territorial about that? He's like, no, 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 Sean, you, that's it. You're done with her now. Yeah, I, I get to ride the the likes of Magna Moralia and uh, and all those good horses, Nick and uh, uh, yeah, Jason very gets uh, very much gets first call. Yeah, all right, all right. Um, yes, for those who aren't familiar, Magna Moralia is a horse that Sean and John and I share, uh, and. Uh, He'll have another day, but he's not in Highfield Princess's bracket. Uh, let's put it like this. You've had a look at the field for the, for the Flying Five. Uh, anything, anything lurking there that, that gives you any, any anxiety? No, I think it's a field that you maybe would expect uh, would have turned up. Um, but I've got plenty of respect for last year's winner, Romantic Proposal. Um, she's back on, on home turf at a, a track that she's produced her biggest performance at. So, um, of course, you'd respect her. Uh, Royal Acclaim, behind us in the Nunthorpe, but still early days for that filly. Not impossible that she could come forward. Uh, so, I'd have plenty of respect for the opposition, um, but, but she's probably the one that they're all worried about. Right, earlier in the week we spoke to Dermot Weld about the comeback of Homeless Songs on uh, on Saturday in the in the Group 1 Matron Stakes. In his way is the formidable Saffron Beach. 
Uh, Jane Chapel Hyam trained Saffron Beach. She was a winner at Royal Ascot. She won a Group 1 at Deauville very impressively last time. Uh, she'll be ridden by Holly Doyle on Saturday with William Buick riding New London in the Kazoo St. Ledger. Uh, I spoke to Jane Chapel-Hyman earlier on, and I put it to her that it didn't sound as though she was quite as worried about rain softened ground as the rest of us were. No, not at all, as long as it doesn't come up heavy like it did at Epsom in 2021. We should be all right. We've won on soft at um, Newmarket and at Sandown. And she's a filly with quite a lot of physical strength. Do you think that that helps her when it comes to adapting to different conditions? Definitely. She's big, powerful, and she grabs the ground. And, you know, she's a 500-kilo filly, so she's a big unit, and she's, you know, got a good heart. You've run her in in good races this season, Royal Ascot win and a Group 1 win, but she's not raced a whole lot. Was that a deliberate plan to save a bit for the autumn? Yeah, definitely. Um having sat down and spoke with the owners James, Ben and Ollie we all decided that if we did want to go the Breeders' Cup we wanted to work backwards and, and have a race planned for her and that's how it's worked out so it's been so far so good And, and still the Breeders' Cup uppermost in your mind if all goes well this weekend? Yeah and it would help because it's a winning you're in um, matron stakes race so yep that would help a lot um, for expenses gets another group one next to her name that's always very important but you know if we're placed it it's still a group one holly doyle's ridden this filly twice on the race course she rode her at sandown when she was very impressive in a group three last year she rode her when she was an excellent and slightly unlucky not to finish closer fourth in the dubai turf in in maidan so she knows her oh well holly's been coming in and riding her work and um the thinking behind it is she knows the filly from home and, um, you know, she's in very good form, um, rider and horse, so why not link the partnership back together again? And do you need her up your sleeve as well if you go to, to Keeneland, if, if William Buick's not available, would she would she ride there as well? I would have I would have hoped so. Um, yeah, I can't, can't see why not, but it depends what, her filly's doing uh, with the Goldstones. I'm not sure if that's going to America or not. Oh, yes, of course, because Nashua could go for the same race. Yes, I think that's running in the Predla Opera, perhaps, and then they'd probably assess her after that race, I would guess. So all systems go for, for the weekend. Um, I, we, we've had this running joke about all these nice two-year-olds you've got that you wouldn't tell me the name of, but I had to wait until I was my back was turned. Ask her at the weekend, clearly for... For one of them to to come out, Jane, did I just remind me? Just remi- remind me the, the name of the horse that ran last weekend. Uh, Blancheland. Um, he ran a good solid race um, and finished second, so not disgraced. And um, look forward to getting him back on the track in a couple of weeks' time. Okay, and have um, have we got any any more to to unleash in the in the next next couple of weeks? Mm, I've got a nice filly running at Yarmouth, a nice roaring line filly running at Yarmouth next week. Okay, and and is she she's obviously named. What's she called? Uh, risotto. Risotto. Okay, yeah, so, so we're... don't eat her. <laughs> <laughs> no, try not to. Um, okay, good. So she's in at Yarmouth next week, um, and you. I see you've got another entry at Yarmouth as well but that one's already won save the world are we expecting a better effort from him second time out 
Yes, he jumped the road at Yama, so hopefully he'll go back there and, and won't jump the road. But um, no, I like Risotto. She's a nice filly. And Great. Jane, we got there. Thanks so much. I uh, really appreciate it. Good luck at the weekend. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Cheers, Jane. Right, that was Jane Chappelheim. Rishi is still with me. Rishi, you want to just um, touch on a few points that are likely to come out of the, the St. Ledger meeting at, at Doncaster. It, it began yesterday. Adar makes his comeback today. Now, what could a good autumn look like now for Adar, the forgotten horse? Last year's Derby winner, last year's brilliant King George winner, and then it all rather fell to pieces. It did, unfortunately. He didn't run too badly in the arc, haven't been keen. Um, but hopefully he wins at Doncaster today and wins nicely. And then he heads, I'd imagine he'd head to the arc. I think that's the race for him. But obviously there are options afterwards. He could go abroad again. Um, he could, who knows, he could race on next year. Um, it'd be nice to see him have a chance to confirm the impression that he made last year, that he was an above average derby winner. Uh, he certainly looked that way when he won the King George. Uh, I think it's a credit to Charlie Appleby for, for persevering to at least find out because many other people with a commercial eye on things might have uh, called it a day on the race course a little bit sooner. Now, Rishi, you told me that your fancy for next year's 2000 Guineas runs at Doncaster tomorrow. Without even looking down, I knew that this would be trained by Michael Stout. I'm an open book, Lucky. I'm an open book. So, yeah, the horse's nostrum. He runs uh, in a race that won made another horse that raced in the Judmont Silks uh, famous uh, and he was very impressive his one run at Sandown was very impressive but still looking green as you would expect from Mr Michael Stout newcomer however the way he was ridden suggested that something was expected of him and Ryan Moore who was also riding in Ireland on the same day made the effort to go to Sandown to ride him before moving on to Ireland uh, so I, it was it was a, a, a really interesting uh, scenario surrounding his debut. So I cannot wait to see what he's going to do on his second start. You know as well as I do the the pattern, the mo of, of Sir Michael Stapp means that he is going to be better uh, with each run that he has. So I'm hoping for for big things on town more from Nostrum on Friday. Yeah, it is the race that was won by Frankel. It didn't have listed status in those days. Incidentally, why that why isn't there a single race in the in the in, in the entire British program, named after Frankel, the be- the best horse, well, certainly the best horse since the war, and maybe the best horse of all time. What? What? I don't get it. In America, they name they name races after great horses all the time. I I, I accept that. I I can understand that. The only thing I'd say is I would hate uh, for Frankel or See the Stars or Dancing Brave or Zilzal. Uh, to have a race named after Shut them. up with uh, Zilza. <laughs> to have a race named after them. And then the, the, the name potentially devalued or somewhat, maybe disrespected might be the wrong word, but devalued uh, with um, a, a, a sponsor's uh, name or a sponsor's title, you know, one of those long titles that no one really remembers. It's not punchy enough and it's just... Why have you? Why have you used all those words and letters yeah, but, to? But Rish, the jumping boys seem to be able to do it all right, don't they? The Corto Star, the Desert Orchid, the Wayward Lad, the Denman, all these races that have. It's, have a, fair, be- yeah, it's, yeah, that's a fair point. Um, but there's not really. I mean, there's the Brigadier Gerard Stakes at Sandown. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's there's nothing for for Nash one, is there? There's nothing for See the Stars. Najinsky Triple Crown winner. 
There's nothing for is there? There's not an Ajinsky. There's an Oso Sharp steak. Oso Sharp steaks. Yeah. There's a Dahlia, um, but nothing for Frankel, which is unless am I going mad or uh, what? <clears throat> I'm not sure. Well, I mean, people be saying, "Why are you two bothering to discuss whether there's a race?" I I, I understand why there ought to be some recognition, but I think we all know that he's a Hall of Famer. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> I still go by the the if if it was the Frankel stakes, I wouldn't want it to be called anything other than the Frankel stakes. Or you know, if it was the Oso Sharp stakes, and I know we refer to it, but it does have a sponsor's title um, alongside it. And I might be upsetting a sponsor or two along the way, but sometimes I'm I'm happy for 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 these horses that have gained legendary status and mean so much to us, mean so much in in a sentimental sense to to not be associated with anything commercial. Well, well, there you are. If you if you can think of the of the right race to name after Frankel, then uh, tweet me and we'll we'll read out your. your I'm, I'm going all interactive all of a sudden, and I'll read well, out what, your. Why don't we have a Why don't we have a, an honor instead of a race for Frankel? Like like what? The horse of the year, yeah. the three year old of the year, or something like that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I think it should be. I think they should be brave, and it should be a Group One race called the Frankel. There you go. And all, all, all answers on a postcard, please. Of course, you can't you can't unseat any current or previous members of the royal family. That seems to be the rules of British racing. So you couldn't call the Queen Anne the Frankel Stakes or whatever, or the QE two. Yeah, of course, but um, but you know, whatever. And Rish. With thoughts of those great horses owned by the late Khaled Abdullah uppermost in our mind, it's only right that we should um, pay tribute to the the life and career of, of James Delahook, the bloodstock agent who was so instrumental in establishing Judmont Farms uh, and buying Dancing Brave, for which he'll forever be remembered. James died yesterday at the age of 77. Uh, it's a great sadness to report. I've been speaking to Guy Harwood, his longtime friend and, and real ally, and and said to Guy that he would he would surely miss James's company very much. Well, I will miss him enormously. I shall miss him firstly as a, a very very good friend, um, but I also had enormous admiration for his ability to purchase the right bloodstock at the right time. He had both unique he was a unique person in that he was not only a pedigree expert but he was also in judge of an athletic racehorse and uh, there was he 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 will be very sadly missed by the british bloodstock uh, industry and particularly the people that he works with uh, because he's irreplaceable and nobody can replace his eye for a horse he had a wonderful eye for a horse and he bought all or very, very, almost all of the good horses that I trained over the 28 years I was training and he although he, he it was his I and and the horse had to to meet his uh, athletic uh, uh, requirements. Uh, he also was very high on the pedigrees, and it was the combination of those two which resulted in him buying so many good horses for me to train, uh, and also for Khaled Abdallah in setting up his his bloodstock 
foundation, the foundations of the bloodstock uh, that built his empire. Uh, and the uh, and the good horses that James bought for him before that empire really kicked into into play, and horses like Dancing Brave. So he will be very sorely missed. Uh, and uh, it seems to me, from talking to him a little and talking to other people, that yes, he had that that bank of pedigree knowledge, as you say, and that's something that that people some people have. Uh, but he he had that innate ability to perhaps find a horse that was deficient in a certain area that he could he could put his faith in do you think an another bloodstock agent would have as readily recommended dancing brave for example well yes i mean obviously i mean i know that amanda skiffington i think was under bidder for uh under bidder for uh, dancing brave uh who was actually I won't say a student of James's, but certainly worked very closely with James's and James in her early days in helping him with his bloodstock selections uh, or producing the horses for him to look at and make a final judgment on. Um, and uh, I think that the great thing was that we bought uh, between us uh, or uh, as a result of his suggestion a number of horses who perhaps did lack pedigree, but the confirmation was uh, was superb. And I mean, the likes of Tuagori Mu. I mean, no pedigree at all, but he selected him and bought him uh, uh, on 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 his confirmation. Um, so he he was prepared to step outside the box when he saw a horse that he thought was athletically uh, very pleasing to his eye. And tell me just a little uh, more of him as a as a man. What what he was what he was like to spend time with, to to be in his company in in the, in those glory years. Well, of course, he was a, a very strong character. We're quite uh, we were, I think, known in the industry as Hinge and Bracket, <laughs> uh, and we used to have some quite strong. Uh, discussion, shall we say, on on where we were going with with selections that we'd made and how much money we should pay for them. We always we always priced our horses before we went into the ring. I'm not saying that we stuck to that price, but we did uh, we did um, we did value the horses that we were trying to buy so that we knew where we were going. Um, and uh, obviously, that promoted quite a lot of discussion between us. He a very strong character, uh, had um, very likable in very many ways, um, uh, but could be quite cutting uh, if he thought somebody was talking a load of rubbish. <laughs> a man who clearly set exacting standards. I'm sure he'll be he'll be much missed. Guy, thank you so much. Yeah, he will be sorely missed, and it's a pleasure to talk about uh, his his achievements. And I I don't think his achievements can be ever completely. Uh, understood by by the by 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 the racing world guy harwood the trainer who dominated a significant portion of of the 1980s racing scene on his great friend and important ally james delahook rishi passat is is still with me and rishi we're going to have a canter through some other news well there's not much mm. to add on the marco Gianni situation jane and i touched on this yesterday there's still radio silence from the bha as i suppose there has to be but he can't ride he's what we do now now he's got interim interim suspension until whatever it is that 
meant that the BHA saw that he was unfit to ride on Bright uh, Brighton the other day is is resolved. And the Sun and the Telegraph have both reported that it's a failed drugs test. And that's about yeah, all you can say, really. It is, and, and it's, it's worrying times uh, for anyone associated with Marco Gianni and obviously for Marco Gianni himself. Um, he's come so far in in the last couple of seasons. Uh, this is This is going to be a big hurdle for him to get over. As we have been mentioning here on the podcast, next week is National Racehorse Week. It begins on the 10th of September and runs right the way through until the 18th of September, inclusive and will incorporate open days at Newmarket and at Epsom and elsewhere. And Rob Hazler is the Chief Executive of the Racing Foundation and joins me now. And the scope of National Racehorse Week, Rob, really is is pretty limitless. How excited are you about this having a, a second bite of the cherry? Uh, morning, Nick. Yeah, we're really excited about it. And um, the trustees of the foundation were really pleased to be uh, major supporters of it again this time as it goes into its second year. I mean, I think when we reflect on the first year, we were really impressed with the professionalism of GBR uh, and the project team that put it all together. And the results that they achieved in terms of the, the engagement with the public was amazing. But also I thought the way they managed to bring all the partners within racing together to put it together was was fantastic too. The team are so enthusiastic about it, they really did want to grow year one. And they came to us with a much more aspirational plan for year two. Um, they definitely wanted to grow it. I mean, I, I was saying to somebody before that some of the conversations I've had with other racing jurisdictions lead me to believe this could become, uh, you know, Global Racehorse Week in the future. So I think it's a great, a great opportunity to grow it and build on the first year. Also, I think it can be a catalyst for greater alignment and coordination of all our community engagement work going forward. Uh, just tell me how, Rob. I just think that the sport does a tremendous amount of work in the community, but it's just not aligned and coordinated as it could be. You know, if we had key themes um, and we shared resources and we worked together, we could have a much greater impact uh, in terms of individuals, in terms of communities and across the whole sport. And the the idea that this could become a, a global racehorse week you you've obviously had other other nations looking at what you have done and and thought well that seems like a pretty good idea how do you think that would then benefit benefit what you're doing um well i, I think that all racing jurisdictions across the across the world face similar challenges we know this through some of the work we've done with together for racing international you know, the issues in the UK are no different to the issues that are faced in Australia, um, in Hong Kong, in, in, this, in the United States, etc. So I think everybody's got this social license issue. Everybody needs to engage with the public. Everybody needs to kind of throw open their doors and be open with people and show them the, the levels of care that the thoroughbred racehorse receives. And the more people that are involved, obviously the greater impact we can have. But also we can learn from each other. We can learn from work that goes on in Australia or America. We can share best practice. So I think there's, there's definitely benefits to working on a larger scale. And there's been some wonderful examples last year, and I'm sure there will be this year, of, of the way that horses have gone out into communities and have had quite a profound impact on people whose, whose lives are, are otherwise affected and might never have, might never have seen horses before. Yeah, I think I think there's two elements to that, isn't there? The first is the the kind of growth of equine welfare and the positive impact that the thoroughbred and other horses can have on people's uh, conditions and life, and and how they can 
work with horses to improve their confidence and improve their well-being going forward. I think that's kind of an established thing now and something that that racing can benefit from and can engage with and, and grow. I think that's definitely true. I think the other thing is that so few people are connected with the racehorse now. That That's one of the, the big challenges for horse racing. So the stats would tell you that, you know, 27% of 12 to 40-year-olds and 50% of 18 to 24-year-olds living in urban areas have never seen a horse in real life. And this National Racehorse Week is an opportunity for people to get up close and, and personal, if you like, with the horses and, and see the levels of, of care that they receive. Rob, thanks so much for talking to me. Just a reminder, National Racehorse Week takes place next week's 10th to the 18th of September. You can look on greatbritishracing.com um, for more information. And as I said, encompassing those uh, big open days at Epsom and Newmarket as well. So nationalracehorseweek.co.uk or greatbritishracing.com will give you all the information you need. Rob, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. Good luck to Rob with National Racehorse Week, 10th to the 18th, don't forget. Richie Passad is with me. He'll be very much involved in that as well. Who are you picking for this afternoon's action? I think Ashada is possibly one of the best bets of the entire meeting at Doncaster. Uh, obviously, last season's uh, champions, Philly and Mayor winner on Champions Day. And I'm lucky in that run at Haydock. Uh, cut in the ground suits her. She's the class act in the race. I expected to win and win easily. Rishi, thank you very much indeed for your company today. Thank you very much for listening as well. That was Thursday, September the 8th. Uh, thank you for your continued support this week while we try and battle with the gremlins at Apple Podcasts. We are available everywhere else. And uh, my thanks to our friends <laughs> in the money as well for getting us available on the uh, iTunes platform this week. We are still working to resolve the problem if you do enjoy this podcast don't let it stop you giving us a rating and giving us a review on whatever podcast provider you choose uh, but i will be coming to you from goodlitzville tennessee uh, this time tomorrow uh, until then bye-bye from all of us you've been listening to nick luck daily brought to you in association with fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.